You are listening to Rouge, White and Blue, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Welcome to the Rouge, White, and Blue podcast. Uh, I am not Oz Davis. He is not available tonight, unfortunately, but I am Joe Pritchard, his co-host. And with me this week is Josh Smith from Podski Wee Wee and Three Down Nation. Uh, Josh, uh, besides the fact that your team didn't do so hot against the rivals this past week, how are things been going on your end? Not, not too badly. I mean, I don't know if we'll get into it today, but they made a pretty big trade moving off of a pretty big name. But, uh, you know, CFL-wise, it's been a tough start to the season for the Tabbies. But otherwise, you know, we've had some really exciting games. And, and as a fan of the league in general, it's been a, a pretty decent last couple of weeks. So excited to get sit here tonight with you and talk some football for an hour or so or however long we decide to do this. And, uh, yeah, it's just going to be a fun night. Good, good. I, I'm all for it. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, co- the the starting host is usually my position, so we'll see how this goes. Uh, but like like uh, like any CFL team this year, they're they most teams are on their second and third quarterbacks anyway. So that's where this Absolutely. show is at this point as well. So absolutely. Uh, We'll just start it off by going, starting with last Thursday night, Edmonton, or when Edmonton goes into Winnipeg and the inevitable happens. Uh, Winnipeg takes over in the second half and starts to resemble the team we were expecting to see out of them this year. Yeah, they've been, look, hesitate to say disappointment because that seems like a wild overstatement, but that was a little closer than you probably would have expected between those two teams, but Edmonton is a better team on the road. I think we've seen that the last few years. I mean, you can't be much worse than they're at home, right? 20 in a row losing, but yeah, the bombers sort of, they showed their muscle in that second half in particular. And you saw Zach Caleros play the way we, we know he can play. You saw Brady Oliviera kind of run the ball, like the defense, Willie Jefferson had a number of big plays in that one. It just, it felt more like a vintage Winnipeg performance. And sadly for fans of the Elks, a recent vintage Edmonton performance where they just, they're just not good enough. Like, I don't know if it's a coaching issue, but the talent just doesn't seem to be there. They released a pretty talented receiver this week in Maurice French, which I, I really didn't understand when that happened. And in, in fact, given Hamilton's issues at receiver, I wouldn't be unhappy to see him land in, in Tiger town here, but yeah, I just, uh, like you said, it's what you expected. Like may- maybe more people expect the score to be bigger. I know, I don't know how much gambling, I-, I know Oz is a gambler, but I don't know how much gambling you do, but Winnipeg went in with a massive, as a massive favorite, didn't cover the spread, but one by two touchdowns. And it was, it was never really in depth, maybe for like a good two minutes there where they, I think Winnipeg had the big touchdown, Nick Dembski, and then Edmonton answered with the big touchdown to, uh, I think it was Dylan Mitchell. It was, I, that was fait accompli before they even kicked off the ball, as far as I was concerned. Right. And Mitt, and we haven't seen much of Mitchell this year. He hasn't been as prominent in the offense as he was last year, but it's good to good to see him get back into it because he's got a lot of talent. Be really good to see him start taking off again. Uh and Winnipeg had that fourth quarter that we expected out of them. Uh that's what their modus operandi has been the last couple of years. Be, get off to a quick start sometimes and then 
kind of slow down as the game goes and in the fourth quarter go okay this is ours and just take it and take the game over uh something we and as a bomber fan i'm sitting here thinking uh, just how spoiled we are thinking we're being a disappointment at five and two right now right yes the bc game was tough it was it's been a long time since that happened but the ottawa game was vintage cfl in winnipeg had control of that for 57 minutes and it was actually the anti-bombers because the bombers just decided in after the three-minute warning not to take over the game and it was Ottawa that did that did that to them, and it doesn't feel good when it goes the other way. No, and I've been on the other end of that as a fan against Winnipeg in particular. Once I sat in the stands and watched them do that in a Grey Cup, where they they decided to take control late, and it is what it is that they're a good team. They're three time West Division champions for a reason. But I'm glad you brought up the Ottawa thing because you, when you're running through that, I was like, yeah. And then they did the exact opposite against the Red Blacks a couple weeks ago, which was shocking like that to me is was more surprising than the loss to the lions quite frankly because i think we knew going into that bc game bc is pretty darn good they'd look good that defense had been rolling they're still rolling quite frankly they had the hiccup against the argos but everyone's hicking, hicking up against the argos as much as i hate to say it but i don't think we have I, no one could have fathomed what was it 30 to six or something like that? BC just blew the doors off him. Right. But I, I don't think anyone, if that would have been a closer game and BC got the win, I don't think anyone would have been too surprised. No, the Ottawa loss was much more surprising. And then it was, you kind of saw they, they, I don't, I'm trying to think back to the Thursday game. They didn't start. They started decently. And then there was that lull, like you said, they have. And then in the second half, fourth quarter in particular, it was just like, Oh, it's throat crushing time. And I do wonder if that will propel them going forward in a way like almost as if they refound themselves. You know what I mean? Because it is a tad ridiculous that we're talking about a team that's five and two. That's a half game out of first place in their division. Oh, they haven't been that great. You know what? There's a ton of fan bases around this league that would be, Oh, we're not that good, but we're five and two. Yes. I'll take that. Thank you very much. So I would say most of them right now. Yes, I agree. And, but the thing is, is we hold Winnipeg to such a higher standard because of what we've seen Basically since that playoff run in 2019, because I think, I think people like to add that 2019 season to this dynastic talk. And I think people forget that. Yeah. They cruised in the gray cup. No doubt about it. I think that was kind of the start of, Oh, the bombers are going to be something. It was really 21. And then the regular season in 22, where it was like, Oh, no one can touch these guys. Like right. they lost what six, six games it combined those two years. Like it was just, it was an incredible run. And then they run up, unfortunately to the great cup buzzsaw that is the Toronto Argonauts who in, in a similar game. Yeah. They gave up to there. If you get, if you're going to give me uh, a nine point lead as the bombers in the early part of the fourth quarter, I'm taking that every time. For sure. And it's funny because we're kind of seeing the Argos do what Winnipeg did. They win that great cup. And I'm not going to say an undeserving championship because I don't think any championship is undeserving, but sometimes teams win and you're like the, the, the overall better team maybe didn't win that night, but the best team on that night did any champion who wins a championship game. They're the best team on that given night. But I do, I don't necessarily fall into the trap of the team that wins the title is the best team that year, because I think we've seen so many good teams falter in the championship game but that aside we saw the argos beat winnipeg and now they're kind of going maybe they're going on their little mini run here but again to get it back to winnipeg not to not to go too far off topic it it just is very surprising that we can sit here with a straight face and say five and two but they haven't really been impressive 
that should scare everyone else in the league because once they do find their stride, I know people are talking about the age factor and I know that's just, that's a thing. I understand that they're still well coached. They still have a ton of talent on that team. If they haven't found their stride yet and they're still this good, wait until they do start hitting on all cylinders. I think it's watch over us in CFL. Yeah. And I've been doing my best not to fall into that trap of they're not as good as I thought they were. Well, I mean, five and two is is good no matter how you slice it. So uh, every yeah. time I feel like I'm stepping into that hole, I'm like, no, wait, that's not a place I want to go here because they're still darn good. So just relax. <laughs> and I think it's, it's fun to do this with you because I think these two, and we've talked about this off mic, the times we've met, the, whether we're talking in, 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 in on social media or privately, we're kind of inextricably linked because up until recently we had the streaks together. Right. And it was always, I, I, I don't know if you've ever mentioned it on the show. I don't know if I've mentioned it when I've been a guest, but I've always talked about how I said to you, man, I'll, I'm fine with bombers, tie cats for 10 straight years. We'll split five and five and then we'll go on our merry way and be happy. And it was always like, yeah, that'd be perfect because then we get, we all get the streaks off our back and, we, and no one's, no one's in that. Let's crack the same tired jokes over and over again. But we both also remember what it's like to cheer for really bad teams Mm-hmm. Um, the tie cats, like, and, and I, we can say like the bombers, even early days of O'Shea, right? Like we're not a good football team. And it was, he was oh, no. on the precipice of getting fired at one point. And it's like, could you imagine that now? Like no one thinks that Mike O'Shea would ever be like, he's basically minted there until he wants to stop coaching in Winnipeg essentially. But it's, you, it's right. You can't fall into the trap of at five and two. Yeah. Okay. Maybe they're not the dominant team that they've been the last two years, they're still a damn good football team. They're still going to win a lot of football games. They're going to be in the championship hunt. And you know what truly awful football looks like cheering for that team. So it kind of helps in that respect as well. It's like, don't get too high on the, on the horse. And I don't think uh, some Bombers fans have, and I think it's natural, right? You win three division championships. You win two great cups after a 30 year dry spell. You're bound to be a little obnoxious. Don't get me wrong. If the Ticats ever do win in my lifetime and social media exists in whatever form we're using, I'm probably not going to be very light because I'm going to spend a week, two weeks, maybe a few months just being a complete jerk about it because it's like, oh, the monkey's finally off your back. But yeah, the Bombers are good. They're going to continue to be good. It's everyone who's like trying to write their obituary, I think needs to take a step back a little bit. No, it, it has a, and it also has the feeling of a team that will reload. And yeah. my wish on this is every off season, replace one of the key pieces and mm-hmm. keep going. And it's never going to happen that way, but you can always dream, right? Yeah. And, and, no, like, to get, I... and to get back to that last point you were making, yes, I have seen some truly awful football. <laughs> the, the first time we met was 2015 when Hamilton yep. was on a ridiculous heater and the Bombers were down 21 to nothing seven minutes into the game. Yep. So yeah, yeah been there. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, I remember that fondly. I'm, I know we've told that, sh- that story on this show when I, I, I called my shot in front of Wade Miller and was none too happy about it. We shared a laugh about it after you left, however, but yeah, like every team goes through it. It's, it's still Winnipeg's time. I don't think there needs to be any sort of dates etched on a gravestone for this run here. Um, the only thing I would say, um, I'm not trying to get too far into the future. I am curious how the Kyle Walter stuff plays out though, because O'Shea's been great. Miller's been a great president, but we can't discount what Kyle Walters has meant to that team as general manager. And I will be interested to see if, if the bombers go the kind of tie cats elk Stampeders route and give O'Shea the keys to the kingdom, or if they do try to make a play to keep Kyle Walters there, because I do think that tandem works really well together. And I do think that he is, he is one of the main cogs of that team being as good as they are. He came in as you well know, 
inherited a mess from Joe Mack and turned that program around. And they were a playoff team in what, 2016, I think that they, that's when they finally started to become a consistent playoff team. And then of course, by 2019 and, and what we've seen recently, they've become the model franchise in the league. So it'll be interesting to see if they can keep that up. But I, I like, kind of like your thought process, like, cause at some point you do have to move on from these veteran players, right? Like Willie Jefferson, as great as he is, isn't going to play forever. Zach Calaris is going to play forever. Stanley Bryant, the list goes on and on of some Had of these guys. Hill, that are 30 plus. Had a big hill, perfect. Yeah, it's like, gonna, yeah, eventually they're still contributors, but <laughs> yeah, it's going to come to an end. But if you can find the next guy and groom them behind these guys, the in two and three years when those guys are out the door, that next guy's ready to take over, and that's how you see a team like the Stampeders, who, but for but a small blip in the early two thousands, basically while they didn't win the championship every year, we're in the conversation for a good 30 years. You know what I mean? Like we're, we're finally seeing now maybe the tail end, maybe the end of that run that started all the way when Doug Flutie signed with them in 92. And even you want to stretch it a little year before that they got to the cup in 91 with Danny Barrett as their quarterback. So like, there's a lot of, there's some people who are probably listening to the show that weren't alive when the Stampeders kind of started this run, which tells you how impressive it's been. The bombers could do something similar or it all comes like, you just never know. That's the fun of sports. But again, to keep it localized to this season, the bombers are still pretty darn good. And I don't think anyone needs to worry about them quite yet. No. And it's built, it's built into my mentality, given that when I started being a bomber fan to worry, but (laughs) again, I just have to remind myself, relax. Yeah. Everything's fine. Um, and speaking of teams that are doing fine, Toronto went into Hamilton and looked like they owned the place. Um, I yeah, guess the, not fun, not fun struggle, to sit the stands for that one. No, I, I can't imagine. Not, not for you. I guess the biggest struggle I've had this year is figuring out what Hamilton's identity is. I mean, we know Toronto is solid, but yep. What is Hamilton built to do and what are they supposed to be good at? Cause I'm missing it. Yeah. You and everyone else, Joe, um, I'm not going to use it as an excuse, but I do think the amount of injuries to key players has really like there with, and I know he didn't play well when he was in there, but to be without Bo for four weeks, that changes the math a little bit. They haven't had Dylan Wynn, who is a game wrecker in the middle of that defensive line. I'm really looking forward to finally seeing him and Casey Sales team up. I think that's going to be perhaps the best interior tandem that we've seen in this league in quite some time. I mean, I know the Ted Laurent Dylan Wynn one was really good in 2019, but I think Casey Sales at this point is probably a better player than even Laurent was in 2020 and uh, 2000 or uh, 2019. It is. So I think that's going to be really interesting. I don't know what their identity is simply because I don't know if they know what their identity one week. It's we're going to run the football the next week. It's we're going to air it out. And then injuries at the quarterback position have really hampered this team to the point where last week it was way too vanilla for my liking. Um, It wasn't until they got down big that they finally let Taylor Powell loose. And he looked decent enough, like given the fact that he got no protection from his offensive line and not, anything nothing from the running game to speak of i thought he played pretty well in his first career start he made one mistake an interception that was nearly returned for a touchdown but i just don't know if i i i have to i'm willing to i guess i should that's what i should say i'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt that health has been what's been holding them back a little bit i'm not using that as like oh they'd be 5 and 1 if everyone was healthy because i think we saw at the beginning of the year that 
even with a healthy bow, he hadn't gelled with his receivers yet. But if any of your listeners l- listen to my show, or if they don't, I, I kind of said at the beginning of the season or going into the season, I should say, I thought this team would start slow. They made so many changes to their offensive defense, 12 new starters across both, both units. That's a lot of turnover for a team, especially veteran turnover. I thought it would take a while. I thought game six, game this stretch here where they went Ottawa, Edmonton, Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal, Edmonton. I thought this was the key section of the season where they had to go at least three and three, if not four and two. And then I would be like, okay, I think they found their footing. They won the first two. They lost to Toronto, which I don't think anyone is surprised by. I wasn't surprised. Now they got these three coming up before they get BC and then Toronto again on Labor Day. I think they almost have to win all three of these to really start to start to build that momentum that you need to see in the second half of the season where there is a more daunting schedule. They play Winnipeg, they play Toronto, they play BC. Like it's, it's not an easy stretch, but I feel like I've kind of been all over the place with your question. Cause I, I, I don't have the answer to what their team identity is right now. And I, I don't know if we'll know that for quite some time, to be honest with you, just because they are going to now start working some of those injured players back in the lineup. And I think then maybe we'll get a little bit better of an idea over these next three weeks against, I hate to say lesser opponents because there's no such thing as a lesser opponent, but definitely on the lower scale of sort of the power rankings of teams right now. And we'll kind of see what they can do and what, where they go forward from there. Yeah. And from the outside, especially once they made the move for Bo, it screamed to me that they were trying to just throw together whatever they could to make a push this year for the home grade yep. cup. Yep. I didn't 100%. see a lot of, and, and the CFL is in a league where you need to spend five or six years building a foundation, but I didn't see them building a foundation for two or three years out. I just kind of saw them going, okay, let's plug this hole with this. Let's plug this hole with that. And we'll, we'll wind her up and see where we go. Yeah. That's, I think a pretty astute observation. Like it's not something it's, it's not the the path you want to see Winnipeg take. It's not a, we're going to groom the guy behind the veteran. It was let's get as many big name guys in here as we can. Like they overpaid for a running back. I think James Butler has been pretty good when he's been given an opportunity, but they overpaid for a running back, which they, they haven't had a consistent running game here in 15 years now. DeAndre Cobb was the last guy that rushed for a thousand yards for the Ticats. And that was in 2010. Like we're a long ways away from, from those days, even though Hamilton used to back in the early two thousands have a pretty consistently good running game, but the league changed. So that changes as well, but they spend money there. They tried to solidify the offensive line. And I thought they did a good, Joel Figueroa is a good player, but he's long in the tooth. He's in his late thirties, like, or mid thirties, I should say like, that's, that's a big bow. The same thing. It's like, that's a quarterback who did not look good his last few years in Calgary injuries had started to take a, take a toll on him. And it's like, that's the guy you're kind of relying on to be the leader of your team. It's, it's definitely, it, it was definitely a path that they took to win this year. I don't think that anyone could deny that. I think even if you, I mean, you, you would never ask the coaching staff cause they wouldn't tell you anyway, but if you, if you sat them down and gave them true serum, I think that they would admit that as well because it does feel like this is a team that if it doesn't get done this year, they might blow a lot of it up and go young and maybe not be great for a year or two to build it back up for potentially the tail end of Bo's, whatever's left of Bo's prime. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't think they'll, I don't think, I don't think Bo's going anywhere after this year, even if he plays poorly, but guys like Ted Laurent, guys like Simone Lawrence, 
guys who are in their mid to late thirties, I could see them not being back next year. And, and there are some guys in this, there are some younger players in this team, linebackers like Kyle Wilson, uh, special teams guy who can also play linebacker and DB and Cathar, uh, Cathal uh, Flowers Lloyd, who I think has been one of the best coverage guys in the league this year on special teams. Like it's not for a lack of young talent, but it's, it's, they loaded up to, they, they took the 2013 Saskatchewan Rough Riders model. We're hosting the gray cup. We want to win it. Let's load up on as many veterans as we can. And we're going to go win this damn thing. It just hasn't worked out. And I don't know if that's the path any team should really take. I've seen so many Ticats teams in the past, quote unquote, win the off season. And it always makes me cringe when I see that. Cause it's like, that never works out. Very rarely do teams that go out and spend big in free agency overturn the roster this, this extent. And I bought into it too. Cause I was thinking, Oh, Bo's going to be rejuvenated. He has had some time off. Like, I wanted to look at it optimistically, even at, not just as a fan, but as like an observer of the team. Like I cover the team on a day-to-day basis. I still wanted to, I want to cover good football. And I thought that that could be what we would see this year, but it's been a bit of a disappointment. But like I said, I expected the slow start. I'm, I was not expecting a victory against Toronto last week. Like they're, if you want to talk about them for a bit, like they're head and shoulders right now. Like, I don't think there's a more talented roster in the league top to bottom. And my only question about them entering the season. And I think we probably talked about this when I joined you guys, was Chad Kelly. And, and I answered, I think <laughs> I agree hundred percent agree. And I, my thing was, is I was never like people, I got, I got a lot of comments about, Oh, you hate Chad Kelly only because he plays for Toronto. And it's never a hate thing. It was a, uh, I'm not ready to bet the farm on a guy that played 70 minutes of football in the CFL. He had one start and then played 10 minutes in the gray cup. And he was, he was being anointed as the next guy. And then he starts the season and he played well against Hamilton in that first game. I was in attendance at BMO, but it was like, okay, he ran for three touchdowns, but his passing numbers weren't great. I mean, I just wanted to see more and six games in the season still, or five games, I guess, still a really small sample size, but I've seen enough where it's no, I think he's the real deal. And the thing I think that is most impressive about him is he seems to make the guys around him better. That receiving core in Toronto is good. It's not great. Like DeVaris Daniels is a good receiver, but he's not a guy who's going to be a 15. He's not a Geno Lewis. He's not an in his prime Darrell Walker. He's Curly Gittens is, is maybe the best Canadian receiver in the game, but he hasn't really played that well this year. DeMonte Coxie is a guy that no one was talking about entering the season. He Mark Keith Ambles isn't even there. Coxie comes in. He's play, he's played pretty well. Like David Ungerer was with Hamilton for so many years. I think he's having a better, I think he's already had more numbers in Toronto this year than he ever had in Hamilton throughout his entire career here. So yeah, I've snuck him on fantasy for like 25 K a couple of times and he's put up numbers. (laughs) Exactly. And I, and I think a lot of that is Kelly. I think Kelly makes the guys around a better. And I think the system there is just Ryan Dinwiddie. I had my questions about him as a head coach. There are still things that like some of his decision-making isn't great. I think even Argo fans would admit that he makes some curious challenges or decisions at some points but his offensive system is tremendous and he's getting the most out of those players. And I think it all starts with Kelly. I think he's checked all the, but the only thing he's really got left to do is stay healthy the entire year and do this for a full game in the big, I know he had the, the, the end of the gray cup last year and everyone's like, that's what got everyone excited, but I need to see it over a full game. Anything else that he can, like any other box he needs to check can't come until November anyway. So we might as well just sit here and admit that he's playing tremendously. He's one of the main reasons why that team is still undefeated. And anyone who's sitting here at this point, still doubting his effectiveness or how good he is to me, is just holding on to that preseason notion. But that, that I same the same one I had where it's like, I need to wait and see I've seen enough. The guy's awesome. He's been great this year. I got to think, at least in my opinion, at minimum, 
he's right now the front runner for MOP in the East, if not in the whole darn league. Yeah, I would have, I would have to say he's, he's definitely in that category. He's going to, especially with quarterbacks getting all the love on that anyway. Yeah. I, I feel like the light bulb went on for me as to what Ryan Dinwiddie was accomplishing last year about mid season. I'm like, wait, even though there's questionable challenges sometimes and every once in a while there's an in-game decision that makes me go, huh, this offense is clicking a lot better than it ever has. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of made the comparison, at least mentally, I don't know if I've ever said it out loud, but it was like, that kind of reminds me of how Andy Reid started his coaching career. Okay. Always, just to give an NFL comparison, uh, just the offenses were better than you would expect given the personnel. Every once in a while, you sit there and scratch your head and go, what is he making that decision for? Mm-hmm. But that's gone away. I haven't even seen yeah. that this year. And that was a quick learning curve for him, too. Yeah. And I mean, he was thrust in that position rather like he wasn't a coordinator in Calgary for very long. I know he was the QB coach, but I think he was only the offensive coordinator there maybe two years. Yeah. Maybe. I don't think it was very it long. Wasn't a um, long. It wasn't a long apprenticeship at all. No, and but you know what? Sometimes guys are just suited to be head coach. Just like there's some guys that are just suited to be coordinators. Like I think of George Cortez is a great example. Wonderful offensive mind, terrible head coach. Ryan Dinwiddie, maybe those offenses in Calgary, like we think it was, we thought it was the players because we thought it was Bo doing his thing and, and all that other sort of stuff. But and that's also, also the, true. Yes, yes, for sure. But at the same time, it's like now that he's done it outside of the Calgary ecosystem. Like that's always interesting to me when you have such a place, like when you have that, that incubator in Calgary that we talked, like I talked about 30 something years running where it's like, Oh, no matter who's the coach, no matter who's the players, like they just go from one to the other, bang, 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 bang. And it always works out. He's done it outside of that. And you're right. Those, those curious decisions to be kind that he would make in 21, even somewhat early last year seem to have gone away. And it's, it's, to talk about him as not one of the best coaches in the league. Like I just, look, I hate praising the Argos. I've hated them since I was basically popped out of the womb, but you can't deny what you're seeing in front of you. Like you're just lying to yourself. If you say that they're not rolling and all like just crushing it right now. And that's just the way sometimes the, the teams you hate do well. And that's just the way it goes. I would have to color myself fortunate that I don't have to talk about the riders doing well because <laughs> uh, I mean, they're, they're actually doing decently this year, but this past week they went into BC with their backup because Trevor Harris is out for the long term, and they couldn't get anything going against BC who also ended up playing their backup in Dane Evans for most of the game because Vernon Adams went out. Uh, probably it wasn't the most, uh, electric cfl game we have seen all season but bc showed that they could make the switch from starter to backup a little bit more cleanly than saskatchewan could yeah it wasn't an aesthetically pleasing game but it gives you an idea of why the Lions made that trade to grab evans from hamilton right like there was always i think vernon adams with the exception of the six pick game against the argos has been exceptional exceptional this year i thought his bounce back performance after that game against toronto was kind of the turning point because he's always been a very physically gifted player but it's always been the mental stuff where you're like can he bounce back from this this adversity and he for the most part has shown that he can't and i'm not trying to be rude there but i think the history shows that 
if he gets down, it's, it's tough to bring him back up for him to bounce back. Like he did after that game against Toronto and, and perform the way he did. It's like, Oh, okay. Maybe he's over that hurdle. So it's a damn shame that he went down, but they went out and got Evans because Adams does, he does have those issues where sometimes he gets in his own head, but he also has injury concerns. He's been hurt a lot in his career. So you make a trade to get the veteran backup and yeah, I mean, the offense slowed a bit, which is to be expected, but that's another team where I look at them top to bottom and I go, not a lot of holes here. So Evans, who we've seen perform on the biggest stages, he, he started two gray cups. We saw him with Hamilton in 2019, take that team to its best record in, in their franchise's history in the regular season. So we know he can play. He, he got a rough ride here in, in Tiger town in 2022 that he talked about dealing with mental health issues and all that stuff, but seeing what he put out there. And I agree with you. I just don't think the riders backup quarterback situation. Like I think we could spend at the end of the season, go, they started three and one, they finished five and 13. Like I just, if Harris doesn't come back, I, it doesn't look good for the riders in my opinion. And to be fair, that's about what they did last year too. Yeah, that's true. Like 12 after a after a strong start. Pardon me. Um, yeah, that's just it. Like, but that didn't, that to me was more because Fajardo didn't play like that, that whole mess in Saskatchewan last year was just the bottom fell out because I just, I don't think they had enough talent. And I do think Harris masked some of that. Like we can talk about how they played. Their record is decent, but if you look at those wins, it was an overtime victory against Calgary who haven't looked that good so far this year. No, and, and, it was as, two... I mentioned, and as I mentioned a couple of times, like that game, the ball bounced in such a weird way. It took 14 points away from Calgary and handed him right to Saskatchewan. For sure. And was that the one where the, the riders picked it off and then dribbled the ball after the interception? I think it was, yeah. he like caught it and then got it knocked out in a fumble and like bounced into his hands. It's like, how, like that, that never happens. You know what I mean? Um, sometimes, sometimes the football gods just hate you. And that was that game it, for Calgary. It's true. It's true. And then, but then you look at the other two wins and they were against Edmonton and it's a one point win because a guy doesn't know the rules. Now, maybe they win that game in overtime. Maybe they don't, I don't know, but we know how they won. And another victory over Edmonton where it took a goal line stand three stops at the one yard line or else Edmonton would have taken the lead late in the fourth quarter. So look, all wins count. Like it's, it's a, it's a notch in the W column, but if you look at the, it's, it's in a lot of similar ways to Hamilton because Hamilton's two wins are against, we're against an Ottawa team that lost their starting quarterback and against Edmonton and Edmonton. Yeah. Okay. They were two and three and they'd won two in a row, but it's like, yeah, but did they, you know what I mean? And it's the same kind of thing I'm looking at the riders with. It's like, well, there are three wins come against the two Alberta teams who aren't very good right now. So again, I'm not trying to take anything away. Winning is, is not easy at the professional level, but without Harris there, I think his, his, his being in the lineup, I think masked a lot of the issues that that team has. And now that he's not there, you see, well, maybe the running game isn't as good as we thought. Maybe this offense isn't as good as we thought. The defense is now on the field more and they're giving up more yards and more points. Maybe they're not, you know what I mean? Like, I think with fine there, and I don't think there's an answer. Like they were relying very heavily on Trevor Harris to stay healthy, which is usually not a bad bet. This is the first major injury he suffered, but at 37, you're like, at some point, you know, the injury bug and father time catches up with everybody. But I just think that his, the way he played masked. I remember when they lost to Winnipeg and everyone was like, that's a good loss. It's like, that's a, you don't normally hear that in pro sports, but a lot of people were like, man, I feel really good after I heard Ryder fans say they felt better after the loss to Winnipeg than they did after the win over Edmonton. And that's a really, it's, it made sense at the time. But now that you look back on it, you're like, maybe 
those victories and Harris's superb play masked a lot of the issues that the riders were having. I just don't know if that coaching staff, which is on the hot seat as well, is equipped to adapt on the fly to now having to deal with an inexperienced quarterback versus the guy they thought they were going to have for most of the season going into the season with, you know what I mean? Yeah. And we had questions about that coaching staff last year too. So mm-hmm. I, I wonder if I, I do wonder if it's going to be a rough ride out in Regina this, oh, the boom, this season. <laughs> I was even going for that, but it was just there. So <laughs> sure. Hey, you know but what? Speak- Sometimes you got to get to softball and you just got to crack one right out of the park. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of coaching staffs, do we reassess what we think of Rick Campbell? Because he took, he took, he went, he, he started out in Ottawa. It yeah. got rough at the end, but that could have, that was probably due to the lack of talent over the course of time more than anything else. Yeah. That was a Marcel Desjardins problem, not a Rick Campbell problem. And then opinion. he goes into BC and they go from, existing to contending like immediately now some of that's nathan rourke but this year that's not you can't say that so oh this is gonna i'm gonna sound like a jerk i still don't think rick campbell's that great i think a lot of their success is jordan mcsimmick and ryan phillips I, I think those two guys are poised to be head coaches in the coming years. I think there's likely to be a vacancy in Edmonton, could be a vacancy in Hamilton, uh, could be, uh, there's probably going to be a vacancy in Saskatchewan. And I could very easily see both of those guys getting those. I want to see what it looks like without them because Campbell's best years in Ottawa, Jason Moss was his offensive coordinator. Jason Moss is a good offensive coordinator. Last year in Saskatchewan, be damned. Jason Moss can coordinate a high-powered, effective offense in this league. I want to see what he can do without those guys because I think they're – because McSimmick came in last year, and that's when everything kind of took off offensively. Ryan Phillips, I think, is a, is a is an excellent defensive coordinator. So I, can, I, I can't – you can't knock the results, but I am curious to see when he does eventually lose those guys because he will. Though BC, seeing what they're doing this year – if that keeps up, if they finish, you know, 12 and six, 13 and five in that realm, maybe finish first in the West, you're going to see those at least one, if not both those coordinators plucked for head coaching jobs next year. Then I'll be curious to see who Campbell picks to replace them. And then if it still continues, then I'll have to change my opinion on Campbell. But right now I'm, I'm kind of willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. He, I mean, he's the guy that hired these guys after all. So he's got to known he can't be that bad. But he, there's still kind of um, not an you know like there's just there's something about his demeanor that just screams to me like eh, I don't know. Yeah, you still have some questions, and that's fair. I but. still have some questions, and it's like it it does seem silly to say for a team that's that's doing as well as they are. But I saw him do really well in Ottawa, and then take the exact same team and start going under 500 every year, and again. I do think a lot of the blame should go to Marcel Desjardins for the down, the ultimate downfall in Ottawa. That's entirely on him being a cheapskate and not knowing what he's doing from a personnel standpoint. But I, I, I just want to, I want to see what Campbell can do without those, those two coordinators there, because I do think that they may be, if they're not one, one and one on that side of the ball, they're one B and one B, you know what I mean? Like they're, they're that impressive. McSimmick, especially like the offense that he's now run for both Nathan Rourke, 
and Vernon Adams, two players who are similar, but not the same as weird as that may be to say, but they're stylistically somewhat similar, but they, they can do things that one can do something that the other can't. I'm curious to see what that BC team looks like when those guys aren't there. And if, if he keeps it rolling after that, then I'll, then I'll absolutely be the first one to say, you know what? No, he's a darn good head coach. Okay. Well, to hop on to Brick Campbell's old team in Ottawa, where did these guys come from? <laughs> Dustin Crumb, man. Like sometimes all it takes is finding the right quarterback and you can find him in some weird places. I love myself a good Mac player. You know what I mean? Like you find it, you find a quarterback or, or a player from the mid Atlantic conference. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, they're, they're, they're killing it in the CFL. It's, it's been like Milt Stegall was a Mac guy. Nathan Rourke, who we just talked about, was a Mac guy, but I think that coaching staff there is really good too. I think Bob Dice gets people to believe. I think Kahari Jones, I mean, we saw Kahari Jones get thrust into the head coaching role in Montreal and everyone was like, well, the owls are going to be terrible. And then he takes them to playoffs. And they back were back years and, and they he weren't. He, and he didn't lose his job on merit last year. I'm just going to no, say that. No, you're a hundred percent right. That was, you know what? Last year was last year. Everyone knows why he was candid in Montreal and it was not because he, he couldn't coach. And then defensively, Baron Miles, good defensive corner. Like, I think they've assembled the right staff for that team. I think they've they've got the right players-ish. Like, it's still not an overly, an overabundance of, like, I, not talents, because, like, every player who plays professional sports is talented. But you look at that receiving core and you go, well, Jalen Acklin's pretty good. But, like, Nate Bahar, like, kind of rose like a phoenix after. Like, do you remember when he was drafted and he held out in Edmonton and he was supposed to be the next great Canadian receiver and it didn't work out there. He goes to Ottawa and he's kind of middle of the pack. And now all of a sudden he's become one of the best Canadian receivers in the game. And it, but a lot of it, it's, it's, I think it's just that belief that Bob Dice can inspire. We saw it when he was interim coach in Saskatchewan, they didn't win many games, but you know that the players love them. Same with last year in Ottawa. They didn't win a ton of games when he took over for Lapo, but you could tell they were playing hard for him. I just think he inspires that sort of confidence. And when you have a coach like that, that can, get the guys to believe, even if you're not as talented as your opponent, you can win a lot of games. And we've seen some pretty darn tremendous play from the Red Blacks recently. It's, it's almost like it's making up, given that fan base a makeup for the last three years of just unwatchable football. The last two oh. weeks have, have been something special to see out of Ottawa. So no, they're, they're was, definitely I, a team that, I was, that I'm interested to see. Yeah. I was at Calgary, Ottawa last year. That was the worst game I've ever sat through. <laughs> Both sides were just, Nothing was going except for Calgary's defense. They they were going. <laughs> yeah. But no, man, the, the Red Blacks emergence. I I was on the Red Blacks bandwagon last year. I thought the moves they made bringing in Jeremiah Mazzoli, I was like, I think they're going to, I really think that they're going to make the leap. And then of course he got hurt obviously. And then it kind of all went downhill from there. And then this year I, I was, I, I allowed myself to believe again and it started kind of slow. And I was like, Oh man, did I back the wrong horse again? And now the last couple of weeks, it's like, okay, maybe they found something. Now, what I am curious about is once the league gets a a little bit more film on Crum, will they be able to negate what he does best? Because I do think, I don't think it's Strebler-like in, I think he throws better than Strebler does, but he is Mm -hmm. relying on his feet a lot. And he's not necessarily fast. He's just, he picks his spots and knows how to run. And we saw last week... And we saw last week against the Stampeders, they started spying him a little bit with Cam Judge. I do wonder if teams with maybe a little bit more athletic linebackers like Hamilton as Jameer Thurman, who's one of the more athletic linebackers in the league, if they give him as a as a spy on on Crum, 
Will that negate some of his rushing ability? And if you take that away, can he beat you with his arm? I think that's what we're going to have to see over the long run before we we really crown him as the next guy. But I think he answered that a bit, though. Because he did. He did, he did a bit. Spy, I agree. Started spying him. I want to say second, third quarter, they started yep. just having Judge spy him for the most part. And he was still breaking runs. Not as often. You'd see Judge keep him from going somewhere. You'd see Judge make him change his mind about a play. But then he was also smart enough. Okay, I'm not going anywhere. That ball is in the th- is in the third row. Yes, so. and that's that's the part of his game that he adapted to quicker than I think you would expect from a guy making his second career start. And I'm also curious to see if he starts to use his feet more as a way to open up things in the passing game because I think teams will get the book on him and be like, oh, he if you take this away, he likes to run. And then maybe if they add some wrinkles where okay, he'll break the pocket, but someone decides to break a deep route. Like there's definitely ways that he can still be effective as a runner without actually running. I'm, but again, it's, I mean, it's, that's half of Buck Pierce's offense right there. <laughs> that's break, true. That breaks true. the pocket. Dalton Schoen goes to the corner and yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, I, did you just compare Dustin Crumb to Zach Caleros? <laughs> not, not specifically, <laughs> but in that same vein, Mobility for a quarterback doesn't just mean how fast can you run down down Absolutely. Having that as in your tool belt helps. But if that's the only tool you have, you're in trouble. But if yeah, you can like use the, your the Chris Strebler model, your, right? Yeah. If you can use your yeah, and that has a shelf life. Yeah. If you can use your feet to get yourself in a situation where the defense has to commit to one and can't commit to both, that's where you find a lot of success. Yeah, I'll be really curious for to have the Dustin Crumb conversation in like six weeks, like Labor Day-ish, you know what I mean? Like, y'all have had a good, if he's still doing this, then it's like, okay, he's figured this out. He's he's a guy that you can build an offense around. That's, that's what I'm waiting for with him. Like, it's, I'm not taking away anything that he's done. I, I, I just, I don't do that, but I do need to see more. It, it's almost in a lot of ways like Chad Kelly, like, everyone was ready to give Chad Kelly the the crown. And I was just like, let me see a little bit more before I jump on that bandwagon. And a lot of people are really hyped about crumb. And I get it because what he's done the last two weeks, it's exciting. It's fun. It's made those two games. Like the last two weeks, Ottawa's games have been the best, like, especially this past week, Ottawa's Calgary game was the best game of the week by a mile. Oh, no, but I need to, I need to see a little bit more from him just because I, I, I don't want to get, I don't want to jump on the bandwagon too quickly. And he ends up not, not that I, I'm, I'm, I worry about it, but it's like you, I want to just see him do a little bit more, see him adapt to teams, knowing what he's good at and what he's not good at. See if he can then adapt to that. And then we'll, we'll then be, we'll then have a more fuller picture of what he can be as a quarterback. Yeah. We have seen our share for Kim Cato's in the CFL where the first for couple of Cato's Stephen Giles, Quentin Porter, like I could go Timmy Chang. I, I mean, you I could go deeper on that than I wanted to. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can, I can go back to uh, Kevin Eakin and like Richie Williams. And there's a lot of, a lot of, I mean, even more modern stuff, Jonathan Jennings. We saw Jonathan Jennings play at an MOP level for a season and then completely fall off the map. You know what I mean? Once mm-hmm. teams get the book on you and you don't, you're and you, and you have nothing else to give. Yes, you don't adapt to their adaptions. You're cooked. And I, I'm not saying Dustin Crumb will fall into that. I'm just saying I think we need to see a little bit you're more. Just not, you're just not handing, so far. You're not handing him the MOP in week six. 
Absolutely not. Not after two starts. And I'm not giving them that big money. Like, cause you know, what's a great current example of that was the Elks. And it's, and he wasn't even as good, but was the Elks handing Taylor Cornelius that big contract. They saw enough to think, Oh, this guy can play. And stylistically a little bit similar. He's a, he's a faster runner and not as good of a passer, but it's like, Oh, he uses legs to get open. He can, and he can make all the throws. He's got a cannon for an arm. But he doesn't Except put it together and now consistently make all the throws. Bingo. That's exactly it. And it's like, but after a couple of games, it was like, oh, maybe he is something. And and that was with him not looking remotely as good as Crum has these last two weeks. So again, we can fall into this trap as fans because it's new and exciting. I always just like to take a little bit more of a wait and see approach. That's just my style. I'm not, I've I've been burnt before. Steven Giles, I thought was going to be the next Henry Burris and was out of the league a year later. So I've learned my lesson. I'd make, take a more uh, measured approach to these things. Now love what I've seen from him. Think he has the potential to be a star, but let's see how he adapts when teams know what he's going to do. And if he keeps it up, I'll be the first to pat him on the back and praise him. And I guess to shift to another quarterback that had that hot start and maybe has tailed off somewhat anyway, uh, Jake Mayer threw probably threw more deep passes this week than he has all season. Something I've been harping on all year. Throw the mm-hmm. ball downfield. You got to at least stretch the field once in a while. Well, he decided to stretch the field the whole game and look pretty good doing it. Yeah, it, that was easily his best game of the season. Maybe his best game since he first got into the starting lineup because everyone made a big deal about he was the first quarterback in CFL history. His first three starts to go over 300 yards. And this season it had been. It had been dink and dunk, quite frankly. It was get it in the hands of the receivers and let them make plays. And I think throw it five, throw it, last throw it week, five yards, have them get tackled at seven. Exactly. Oh. And I think before last week, his receivers had combined the most yak out of any receiving core in the CFL. But this past week, they opened up the playbook. They let him chuck it deep and it worked. Surprise, surprise. So I think it's less of a, I mean, the, the touchdown pass he threw to, I think it was, Mar- it must've been Mark and Michelle. Cause I think he's the only one that he threw deep, bomb touchdown passes too, where the touch on the pass out of the, like it was, it was a perfect throw that Michelle just went under and took it 90 yards to the house. So he's got the skill. I think again, him and him and Cornelius were at the same, like they both got paid in the same off season. They were two of the first quarterbacks that got this guaranteed money from this new CBA that the CFL signed last year with the CFL PA. So it was like, they were an interesting case study. One has not worked. And I, I don't really understand why he's still starting. The other has struggled, but I mean, if you put up 41 points in a game, can you really blame the offense for the loss there? You know what I mean? Like he throws for 400 yards, he throws multiple touchdowns and they put up over 40. That loss isn't on the offense, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Nope. Nope. That was, that was a classic CFL shootout and more of that, please. Yeah, absolutely. I know people talk about how they love defense. I don't believe it. People love high scores back and forth games, you can make some defensive plays and, and you can have good defense, but you can have good defense in, in high scoring games as well. I, the, the idea that that 10, nine is a fun game is ludicrous to me. People want their team to play defense and nobody else. Yeah. Yeah. You want to win every game a hundred to nothing. Exactly. That's fun, right? Yeah. I mean, to be fair in 2019, I was in attendance when the Ticats beat the Argos 64 to 14. I did have a lot of fun that day. Yeah. You'll take that anytime you can get it, right? (laughs) For sure, for sure. All right, well, let's move on to next week's games. 
Uh, looks like Thursday night, Hamilton at Ottawa and Hamilton uh, across a couple of different places I've looked is either three and a half or four point favorites. Hamilton's still going to be on their third stringer, correct? Schultz is out long term too. Yeah, but I think Bo's going to start this week. Bo's, um, Bo's got to. You're, you're getting a little back. bit of a. Okay. You're getting a little bit of a scoop here. So we, Mike and I, recorded our Podsky show this the same day that you and I are recording. Actually, I just got off the call with him about an hour before we sat down. So our show might be out before yours, but uh, your listeners will kind of get maybe a little bit of an exclusive here. I was at Ty Cat's practice on Monday and Tuesday. Uh, he was a. He was a full participant both days. I know the injury report listed him as limited for the first day, but he split reps with uh, with Taylor Powell, and he was he took all of the first team reps at Tuesday's practice. So tomorrow's the kind of you know go big or go home day. Wednesday day three is usually the day where you know for certain if a guy's going to play or not. If if you're asking me, and I know you didn't, but I'll I'll tell you anyway. If Bo's going to start, I think he's starting on Friday against Ottawa. They have pulled him off the six-game injured list, and I don't think you do that if you're going to put him in a backup role. Um, so, yeah, I do think it's going to be it's going to be Bo leading Ticats offense on uh, on Friday night. And you're right; it is Friday night, no Thursday night football this week. Oh, you said Thursday? That's right. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yep. yeah, you're right. Nope. Yeah, it, yeah, it is no Friday, or, or, yeah. or is it Thursday? And we've got. Hang on. No, it's Friday. It's definitely Friday. Friday. Doubleheader Saturday and Sunday, which is yep. kind of off of the off of what they've been doing this year. So, pardon me for the confusion on that one. So, uh, I I guess I got to ask, who do you got? You said the Tie Cats are favorites, and I just I don't understand that. No, Ottawa Ottawa is a three and a half point favorite for the most part. Oh, Ottawa. Okay, okay, that makes so more really sense. given Ottawa's the home team, that's a toss. Yes. That's close that's to a, a toss. That's a, that's a pickup. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Because you get three points for being the home team. Yeah. Right. Do you want harder head, Joe? I want what you want, want to do. I want what you okay. want to do. Okay. You know what? Because it's no fun being cautious. I say Bo comes out, has his best game of the season. The Ticats get the W. I think, I think it's going to be a high scoring game simply because I don't think Hamilton's defense is very good. But I think their offense, I think Duke has been, Duke Williams, that is, has been as good, if not better, than advertised coming. I think he's, that year in Saskatchewan last year, I think was an aberration. He's looked fairly dominant when he's been given the chance with the ball. I think there's, if the offensive line for Hamilton holds up, they will win this game. If they don't, they won't. I think that's the way to put it. I don't think they were very good last week, keeping Taylor, like Taylor Powell didn't get sacked a lot, but he was running for his life. Bo can't do that. You need to give Bo a pocket to make those throws. If they do that, Hamilton can put up points and Hamilton can win. If they don't, Ottawa will. On the spread, I will absolutely go with the Tie Cats. I don't think I, that if it was two and a half, I'd go with Ottawa. But at three and a half, I really like I really like Hamilton there, just because that half point, Ottawa could win this game twenty three to twenty. You know what I mean? And that wouldn't be a shock. But I I do think the Tie Cats have what it takes to win this game. This would be a big win for them too. They would have taken the season series with Ottawa. They tied them in the standings, even though they both be at three and four. Hamilton would be ahead of them on that tie break. That's a big thing to get, especially because the third game comes later in the or yeah, comes later in the year in Hamilton. So they would have a chance to sweep them. I know they've the Red Blacks been good at TD Place the last couple of weeks, but they've the last few years has not been very kind. Hamilton, I think. Last of, last I checked, I think they've won eight in a row in Ottawa. I think the last time they lost the Red Blacks in Ottawa was the 2018 East Final. 
I think since then they've gone, I think I'm pretty, it's either seven and or eight. No, I'll have to, I, I should have done research before I sat down with you. I apologize for that. But I think, uh, I think Hamilton goes in there and gets the W. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say something that six weeks ago, I would have thought sounded insane, <laughs> but I want to see Bo put together one vintage Bo performance before I'm going to hop on his bandwagon at this point. Totally fair. Totally and fair. And at the same time, I'm sitting here going, Dustin Crumbs in his like third, third, was it his third game action? Third, yeah. third, third, third start, third start fourth, fourth game action. Game action yeah. And I'm sitting here going, I have more confidence in a guy I didn't know who he was six weeks ago than I do for Bo. But in this scenario, especially with Bo coming off an injury, I just want to see if Bo still got it before I'm going to lean on, okay, Bo is back. So that kind of leads me to go, Ottawa's the hot team right yeah. now. I Like you said, Hamilton's defense hasn't been all that impressive this year. So I'm thinking out of what takes it kindly. They've been terrible. <laughs> right. So I'm no, thinking, that, and you know what? I, I, yeah. that's, that's fair. That's a totally fair way to look at it. And if I didn't have black and gold cursing, as much as I, I try to take the emotion out of it. Sometimes it's, I'm just it's, like, it's, it's impossible. Tyka. It's hard. It's, impossible. it's hard. It's hard. Sometimes. I mean, last week I did take the Argos to win. I knew the Argos were going to win, but like that would be picking against the obvious. You know what I mean? This one feels like a much tighter contest. And in those cases, I tend to let my heart take over a little bit, but your it, rational it, it, it's, thoughts, yeah, it, what you yeah. said completely makes sense to me. Right. Well, that, that makes me feel better, even though it feels really, really weird to say, I trust Dustin Crumb more than I yeah. trust Bo Levi Mitchell. That's nothing I ever thought I'd say. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair, though. But it, it makes sense. I mean, looking this at week, the, what we've seen so far. That's where I'm at. Ask yeah. me again next week. <laughs> For sure. I get it. I totally get it. Okay, so on to the next one. We've got Saskatchewan at Toronto on Saturday for the afternoon uh, the afternoon game. Toronto, anywhere between 10 and 10 and a half point favorites from what I'm seeing across lines. And I don't see how they don't cover that. I don't normally like big spreads, but sometimes, like, because here's what we know. The Argos are going to score 30. Do you think that Riders offense is scoring 20? Because I don't. No. So the Argos have scored at least 30 in every single game they played this year. We know they're going to cross that 30-point threshold at a minimum. It this is the this is the Argos in a walk. And this this is the TD Atlantic game, isn't it? I think you're right. Yes, it is. Yeah. So I don't look until and this is not great gambling advice, but until someone knocks off the Argos or shows any sort of chinks in their armor, I am not going to be, I get now in some games, they maybe there'll be a, a wild spread that I'll just be like, that's like with, with Edmonton and Winnipeg last week, I think it was 15 and a half when I first saw it. And I was like, yeah, and that's, that's kind of where we played with that. And I just, yeah, that was one that uh, Oz and I discussed. If I remember correctly, I said, I'm staying away from that because yeah, yeah, and I even said Winnipeg likes to likes to just win by as much as they need to win by. Mm -hmm. They're not a and team that's going to sit there and blow the doors off of people unless you unless the other team just doesn't show up. No, and those massive spreads, there's always that experienced gamblers know there's always that worry of a backdoor cover. Yeah, and that's the other thing we were talking about too. Like even if Winnipeg gets out to a huge lead, 
what happens if Jared Daly comes in off the bench and puts up a touchdown and a field goal? Which is what he did against Hamilton the week before. It was like right. Hamilton and, and was he, d- he did that against in Toronto too, I think. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, and yeah, but it's like the way I look at it is what we've seen from Toronto is they've run rough shot over everybody and they are going to score 30 points. So that's my baseline. I go, okay, the Argos score 30. Can their opponents, what's the spread? Can their opponents get to within that? No, then no. And I don't think the Riders can score 20. So I think the Argos, I think the Argos might score 40 in this one, quite frankly. Like I think, I don't think this is going to be particularly close. No, this this one might be they might be uh, hitting the lobster rolls a little bit early, <laughs> early uh, take grabbing a lobster roll on their way to the bench in the fourth quarter. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. And another one that's not going to be all that close from the looks of it is BC at Edmonton, BC eight and a half point favorites going into Edmonton and even starting Dane Evans likely because it sounds like. Vernon Adams is out at least a week, maybe more. I, yeah, I, I, I'm not terribly sold on the spread on this one, but I can't see how BC doesn't walk away with a win here. Yeah. BC is definitely going to win. I think as long as Evans, just because of what he was in Hamilton last year, where he, he was turnover prone. If he doesn't play like that, I think the Lions will win in a walk. And again, it's Edmonton at home. And as much as that's a cliched joke, they I think their next two home games are this one against BC and then against Winnipeg. Like, I don't think that home losing streak's end, ending anytime soon. So eight and a half for a road favorite is a little much. But, and this I have done research on because I do like to gamble. So I like to look into these things. I think Toronto was last week's biggest road favorite. And I think this, I think it was when I was looking up the research for this, I think now counting that Argos game, I think seven of nine or seven of 10 road favorites that have been favored by more than a touchdown have covered. And with it being Edmonton, eight and a half is a weird one. Cause that, like I said earlier, that backdoor cover is there, but it's Edmonton at home. Like I think the Lions win that in a walk. It, it is a little scary. The eight and a half, it, just because that that's a weird number. Like, Edmund, but I just yeah, don't I've know. I've seen if, like, it anywhere between be, eight and nine and a half. Yeah. Eight like, and a half seems almost, to be the most prevalent. I almost feel more comfortable at nine and a half because it's like, oh, BC wins 35 25 versus, oh, BC could win 30 to 23, you know, but I just, I just don't know if Edmonton can keep it close. But then there's always that thing that you talked about before the scary part of do they pull Cornelius when they're down by three scores and do what they did against the Tie Cats and score two late touchdowns when BC's like, we're up we're up 35, 14 in the fourth quarter and we're kind of calling off the dogs. You know what I mean? So, but, but if we're just talking straight up winners, BC wins this without, without much hesitation on my part. Yeah. And I wonder if it'll help Dane Evans too, just to know that he's not one a. Yeah. He always was whenever he, when he was paired with Mazzoli and they were one a and one B due to injuries for both of them. mm -hmm. You knew that you had somebody behind you. You had, you had help. Yep. And Evans didn't have that last year. And that's when everything went south. Yeah. And he's, he said himself, I was, uh, I was on a media call with him after the trade to BC. And he, I don't know, I don't remember who asked him the question, but he said he's more comfortable in that dual role. Like he's more comfortable with another guy at his level in that quarterback room. So, like you said, when he was with Mazzoli, it worked when he was, and even though in 2019, he, it was, Mazzoli was out for the year. He was still not looking over his shoulder, but he still had him there to be like, 
pick because Missouri be, State and Hamilton. Right. To be pick his brain. To be yeah. Right. And like he didn't have that last year. Like he had Matt Schultz and you know, Matt Schultz is what he is as a quarterback. Like a lot of people like him. I I like him, but we know what he is as a QB. Now he's going into this one. He's not looking over his shoulder to anyone, but he also knows that he, he's not the face of the franchise. The whole weight of the, of the team is not on his shoulders. And that's a talented receiving core. They are great at running the football, and that defense is phenomenal. So he just doesn't have to – he doesn't have to win in the game. He just doesn't have to lose it. And I think with the way McSimmick schemes things up, I think he's going to put him in a position to succeed. I think the Lions win that one in a walk. All right, and then last one of the week, Calgary going into Montreal on Sunday. Montreal looking to be two-and-a-half-point favorites across the board from all the different places I've seen. And I don't know. I, I honestly don't know where I'm going on this one. Usually, no, this I'll, is... usually I'll sit there and make my picks before the game but or before I come on, but this week I'm kind of winging it, and uh, I'm just looking at that going... I don't know. <laughs> All right, let's let's talk this one out then together, buddy. Um, yes. <laughs> so two and a half point spread. In my opinion, you're essentially picking who you think is going to win that game. Very rarely do we see two point wins or one point wins. So you get a team to win by three. You're basically kind of thinking who's going to win, especially in football, touchdowns, field goal. I know we rouges and weird scores in CFL, but essentially when I see an under three point spread, we're basically picking who we think is going to win. Montreal's coming off a bye. Last time they came off a bye, they obliterated the Ticats, but the Ticats aren't very good. But at the same time, Calgary hasn't been very good. They have the same record. Okay, so we kind of put that out there. The Stamps coming off a tough loss at home. They're probably going to be a little PO'd. Will they take that out on Montreal? Because Montreal, I think, is a little, it's a little bit of a mirage with how they've played to start the year. I think they beat up on Hamilton. They beat up on Ottawa. Like I think it was a little... I didn't love what I saw. I mean, that the game against Hamilton, they crushed them. I'm not going to lie, but that's when Hamilton was playing at their worst. So I'm not entirely sure how much we could take from that. That was the first game post bow as well. So a lot of things were going on here, but Calgary's always struggled in Montreal too. Like even dating back, like when, when the stamps would go 15 and three, one of those losses would be in Montreal and they would lose to some pretty bad Alouettes teams. I think I've talked myself into the Owls, Joe. I think I, I think, don't think the, the Stamps team is as good. The yep, only question I have then is it seems like Cody Pajardo takes a half second to a second longer in the pocket than most of the quarterbacks do. Yep. At least that's what PFF is telling us. And that's why he tends to take the sacks as often as he does because he doesn't have the same ability he used to. No, that's a good point. My Charles question. offensive line is pretty bad. I don't even know if it's the offensive line. It's Cody. It, it, yeah, it's a little bit of it, yeah, and it's a two point five. Yes. Now, yeah. can, does Calgary have any sort of pass rush? Can they make Cody's life miserable? Because if they can, they can win this game. But if they give Cody all day, he's got too much receiving talent. Yep, that's a good point. I mean, they did just trade for Jagarrett Davis, but I will say from firsthand experience. That's a name value trade more than an actual value trade. He's not the same player he was a few years ago. I think his decline started in Toronto last year. I actually think his decline started in Hamilton in 21, but was really prevalent in Toronto last year. And he was been next to invisible with the Ticats when he returned this year. 
James Vodder is out from what I understand. I think they're saying possibly a torn triceps. So that's probably why they made the move to get that's Davis. That's why they made the trade. Yep. And they were yeah. a day late on Sean Levin from the looks of it. And they, yeah, that's just it. And I just don't know if, yeah, I don't know if Calgary's pass rush will be good enough, but Fajardo does hold the ball and get it. Like he does get himself sacked more than he should. Man, this is, I was, I was convinced about the Owls, but then you kind of, you, that one comment just kind of, now I'm, I'm, no, I'm going to stick with Montreal. They're coming off a bye. They're at home. Calgary's notoriously slow in Montreal. I'm tepid. This is is the most tepid I could give. Tepid support for the Alouettes. That's where I'm at too. But I think Montreal's defense is just good enough and could put just enough pressure on Jake Mayer to make him make him make a mistake or two. I don't know if Calgary's pass rush is going to be good enough to make Cody Fajardo take more than three or four sacks. Because I mean, that's a tip. That's you, you just have to say that's what's going to happen with Cody. Yeah. But if we're talking seven, eight sacks, I give the game to Calgary. But I don't think they they're going to have that kind of fun at the with the quarterback. I know it's Tuesday when, when we are recording this. I'm not sure when you put out the show, but it's Tuesday night as we record. We don't, I don't even think these teams are, they, they play on Sunday. So these teams haven't even opened up their practice week yet. If Siante Evans is going to play, I think the Alouettes will win because they will bait him. Siante Evans has three, four interceptions so far this year. And just like, I think he's played two and a half games, maybe. If he's back, I think the Owls will definitely win. Even without him, I think you're right. I think they, they can bait him. They brought in Sean Lemon. I'm assuming he's going to play against Montreal. I think he'll be very motivated to play against the, uh, his former team that didn't want to bring him back after he was the West nominee for most outstanding defensive player. Yeah, I think I think all things being, I think this is going to be the closest game of the week, hence the very close spread, obviously. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily know if it's going to be a good game, like I said, te- I think I very tepid support for the Alouettes in this one is, is I think, where I'm going to go. And I guess if you're thinking of, of gambling on this one, do you like betting on coin flips? <laughs> <laughs> yes, love it. I'm a, I'm a degenerate. <laughs> well, you, you and Oz would be good buddies then because yeah, yeah. he is as well. Thankfully for my bank account, I'm not, but I enjoy the, I enjoy the, I enjoy thinking about it anyway. Um, I guess any final thoughts going into this week? Honestly, I just hope we get, I I think a lot is made of quote unquote bad games in the CFL, but with only four games, most weeks, if we get one, like we got at the end of last week with Ottawa and and Calgary, we can get one of those again this week. I think we're trending in the right direction as far as entertainment value for this league. It's been a while since, I think it's been this high. Obviously, the week before, we saw three games that were tremendous. And even the Hamilton-Edmonton game, which didn't rank up there with the other three, high-scoring affair that we saw special teams plays and all that sorts of stuff. So if we can get one game this week that matches what we've seen the last couple of weeks, I think we can maybe put that narrative of what are we doing with the CFL, like where what happened to the CFL sort of thing. We can maybe put that to bed until the end of the year because uh it, we've had some pretty entertaining games the last couple of weeks and i hope we can keep that going forward oh let's be fair that's never going away well <laughs> I, a guy can be can dream i can be an hey look every year i think the tie cats are going to win the great cup and they've disappointed me now for nearly a quarter century if i'm not getting off that perch 
I, I, I want to hope that one day we can all just accept what this league is and just be okay with it. Because the biggest thing for me that I always hate is people want to always compare it to the old and we're never going back to that. But I always think of like movies and I know we're now we're going to get off on a weird tangent, but we always talk about classics from the 1930s or classics from the 1940s. And we always think everything they made back then was great. No, we just don't see the garbage because they don't put it out anymore because they, they produced crap movies back then too. And when television was first made, not everything was a classic. We just remember the stupid, awful stuff they put out now because we're living through it in 50 yeah. years. When we're gone, the kids will look back and go, the kids of that day will look back and go, Oh, they had all like, they had name a classic movie and Jurassic park will hold up or Terminator two or whatever. You know what I mean? Like you'll forget the bad and always remember the good. We do that with the CFL too. We always think back to, Oh man, these, these great shootouts and all that stuff. But it's like, yeah, but not every game was televised. And I've looked at some box scores and there were some 12, eight games. And it's like, well, that couldn't have been very entertaining, but we remember the shootouts and the classics and all that sort of stuff. They're the ones That's that show what, up on ESPN classic that you flip through and go, Oh, I'll stick absolutely. <laughs> and those are the ones we want to remember. We want to remember the things that they're best. I wish that we would just accept what this league is. I not saying it, ha we have to accept everything, not saying we have to just swallow it like pablum but it's like every once in a while you put your head in your hands you just go guys i know but there's a reason it's worth it yeah that well that's just it would here because here's the thing would you rather have what we have or nothing at all because we went through a year of nothing at all and it sucked so yes it can it be better of course can is there an issue with quarterbacking or player talent or the coaching cap screwing up with evaluating and, and teaching players? Yes to all that, but something is better than nothing. And every now and then, and we've had it a lot in the last couple of weeks, they show us why we fell in love with this league in the first place. So give me another, just one. I don't need three or four. I just need one a week that makes me go, oh yeah, this is the CFL. Give me one of those and I'll be a happy man. All right. So which game this week is it going to be? Maybe Calgary, Montreal, Calgary, Montreal. I think that the two leading candidates are probably Calgary, Montreal and Hamilton, Ottawa. Cause those are the two games featuring teams that are the closest in talent level. Cause like the other two games, as we talked about, like Toronto's going to, if Trevor Harris was still in Saskatchewan, maybe that would be a more interesting game. And that being in, in Nova Scotia, like I think that'll add to sort of the ambiance of it. But I think we both agree that BC is going to crush Edmonton and, Toronto's going to crush Saskatchewan. So those are the two games that are likely to be it. I think I'm with you. I think I'm leaning more towards the Montreal game. Cause I think, I think both those offenses have the ability to put up some big points. We know Montreal or we know um, Calgary can, we saw it last week. So yeah, that's probably if, and if Fajardo can do his magician stuff where he's escaping the pocket, but actually making plays instead of taking 30 yard sacks, things can get, pretty fun in, in Montreal. So yeah, that would be my, I'm with you. I think that's the bet for the one that has the best chance to be that classic CFL game that we all love. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, my, I'm not going to be able to watch as much as I'd like to, cause it's the uh, little boys tournament baseball season, but I'll do my best to catch as much of it as I can. And hopefully I catch that classic, but uh, thanks to Josh Smith for joining us this week. And this is Joe with the Rouge, White and Blue, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.